Wow. Welcome every single one of you to the very first episode of the Wormbrenner Podcast. I am your host, Justin. And just a quick disclaimer before I get into the actual episode itself, um, I do feel a little under the weather, but this is not an excuse. I made a promise to you on March 1st that I would make the episode on March 17th. Uh, Happy St. Patrick's Day, by the way. Uh, I hope you have a phenomenal day, and stay safe, please. Uh, But regardless, I made that promise, and I was never, ever going to break it. So... If by some miraculous uh, choice I missed a sniffle or a cough, uh, or just in general I sound stuffy, uh, please forgive me. Uh, I'm going to fight through this, and regardless, I made that promise, I'm going to do it. So, uh, just before I get into the actual meat and bones of the episode, I wanted to make a point of telling you who I am, in case you don't know. Uh, I am Justin, you can call me Coach J, Coach Justin, Coach B, it doesn't matter. I've been coaching for about three years now uh, and being an actual player just under that. Uh, So to actually start my career, I was in youth soccer when I was in Indiana, but due to me having cold-induced asthma, I was not able to actually be a part of soccer that much. Um, So I then was able to move with my family to Florida uh, when I was about eight or nine, and that changed it all. I was able to outgrow my asthma, and I was able to actually be a part of sports at that point. So the very first World Cup I ever remember watching was the 2010 World Cup, and man, that was something that I could not get enough of. The one match I actually remember wasn't even the final itself, even though, yes, everyone knows the goal that Iniesta scored against the Netherlands in the final. The one that actually spoke to me more was in the semi-final between, I believe it was the Netherlands and Uruguay, uh, when Van Bronworst, Van Bronworst, I think is how his name is is pronounced, I'm probably saying it wrong, again, I apologize, but uh, when he smacked it top corner, I was, I was absolutely blown away by that goal, and I could not think anything other than I need more of this sport now in my life and that's what kicked off the passion in all honesty so once I was able to go to college at the University of North Alabama I became a part of a very very unbelievable group of individuals that I'm so proud to be associated with uh, being a part of the extramural soccer program at the University of North Alabama I was able to play on the reserve team for about two or three years and then in my final year I actually got the chance to be a coach Uh, my final senior year I was appointed player head coach of the reserve team and that was my first taste of management Uh, from there I saw that at least as a player uh, I was never ever going to be to the level of a player that the other individuals on the team were able to do but uh, that wasn't going to stop me from being a manager because I could throw everything at that and there was nothing holding me back at all Uh, once I graduated college I moved to West Virginia where I became a part of Seneca soccer I helped them as an assistant coach for the under 12 co-ed travel team uh, which I would never ever change uh, ever period Uh, once I 
moved away from West Virginia. I moved to Tallahassee uh, and became a volunteer coach for Florida Elite uh, as I was able to be a part of the under-15 boys team uh, at Florida Elite. Again, something I would never, ever change, period. I've since moved back to Central Florida where I grew up, and I'm looking for a club right now. So I'm hoping to change that in the near future, but moving on. A lot of you may say that I don't have a lot of playing experience to make a podcast like this, uh, to which to, I would say, no, I'm still going to do it. But to actually show proof that it doesn't matter, I would like to point you to the man, to a man that I look up to. His name is Arrigo Sacchi. He's an Italian manager that has coached the likes of the Fiorentina youth team, Parma, AC Milan, and the national team in Italy without a single minute. It, let me repeat that. Without a single a singular minute of professional playing experience. He's never professionally played soccer in his entire life, yet he has coached teams like Parma, like AC Milan, like the Italian national team, and has even won the European Cup two years in a row. Again, let me remind you, he's never played a professional minute of soccer, ever, period. But yet he's won the biggest trophy in club soccer. When he was appointed AC Milan manager, reporters hounded him over this question of how he was able to get to the likes of AC Milan and manage them without a singular minute of professional soccer. To which he answered with the best quick-witted response I've ever heard in my entire life. The reporter, A reporter asked him how he was able to do this, how he was able to become manager of AC Milan, to which he answered, I did not know in order to be a jockey, I had to be a horse first. Which obviously, to any normal person, that's impossible. But it proves a very important point. You don't have to have playing experience to become the best soccer coach in the world like this man did, or one of the best soccer coaches in the entire world. So for any of you that are wanting to become a soccer coach, I I would really not like to hear the response of, I don't have enough playing experience, because this man did it. And so many more that I will be getting into with this podcast have done it with zero playing experience, zero professional playing experience. And I want to be a part of the, that factor that has been able to do this. So before we get into the meat and bones of the actual podcast, let me take a quick break and I'll be right back. And we are back. So this episode is going to be about the MLS itself. I do know that U.S. soccer goes back further than 1994, but uh, just for the purpose of this episode, we are just going over the MLS. Maybe we can come back to uh, pre-MLS in another episode, but uh, I just want to stick to MLS in this episode. Uh, so the journey began in 1994 uh, with our bid to host the 1994 World Cup. Uh, when we approached, or when we were approached to host the 94 World Cup, the U.S. was asked to make a first division. We had no solidified first division uh, in soccer at that point. So that was a requirement made by FIFA to have the World Cup hosted by us in 94. Uh, two years after the 94 World Cup, the U.S. actually had their first official 
league, the MLS, or Major League Soccer as we know today. Uh, it first started out with 10 teams, or 10 teams, and now it has grown, or it is going to grow by 2023 to 30 teams, 3-0, 30 teams. It has been an unbelievable motion by everyone involved, uh, and I couldn't be more proud of it, honestly. Uh, we've come a long ways, and here's a little bit of the history behind it. So, uh, within the first five seasons, DC United were one of the best in the country, claiming three of the five MLS Cups uh, between 1996 and 2001. Uh, but there was a little bit of a setback. Within those first five years, the MLS lost about quarter of a billion dollars. $250 million were lost. Uh, so the teams needed to rework their books uh, and make, a prof make it profitable and fun for everyone. So that's how we have been able to lead to the MLS shares uh, that we hold today. The rise of popularity uh, with Major League Soccer happened by one singular man. Uh, there, This man doesn't need an introduction. It's David Beckham. When he moved from no contract or free transfer to the LA Galaxy after playing for the one of the biggest teams, if not the biggest team in the world, Real Madrid. Um, so to have a player like David Beckham in the MLS was ginormous for the actual company itself for MLS. And for all of us, we were actually able to see a world-class talent play in the MLS for the first time, it seemed like, ever. With the movement of David Beckham to the MLS, it actually changed a little bit of the rules. Not many people know this, but it did change the rules of soccer in the MLS itself. Uh, we created what's called the Beckham Rule. But uh, some people also know it today as the DP rule or the designated player rule. So within MLS, each team is allowed three designated players or three DPs or three Beckham, Beckham players. Um, so this is salaries that aren't necessarily covered entirely by the team, but they are covered by the MLS itself. So there is a salary cap, much like uh, the NBA, the baseball uh, MLB uh, and even hockey uh, just like all of those sports there's a salary cap these designated players are not impacted as much on the salary cap they can be paid millions of dollars uh, and not be a part of the salary cap and that was the rule that was created by David Beckham or by the MLS to incorporate David Beckham or have David Beckham on one of these teams because he was act asking for a multi-million dollar contract so, uh, this happened in 2007, and since then, it, is exp it has expanded uh, threefold, actually. Uh, and that, was that w gave us the ability to bring in the likes of Robbie Keane, Didier Drogba, uh, David Villa, Frank Lampard, Andre Perlo, uh, Sebastian Giovinco, Kaka, uh, and uh, even Giovanni Dos Santos. Uh, as well as even bringing back American talent like Clint Dempsey, Demarcus Beasley, Michael, uh, Michael Bradley, Tim Howard, Lyndon Donovan, Jermaine Jones, Ed, Freddie Adu, uh, Kyle Beckerman, uh, and the list goes on from 2010 to 2017. Uh, we were actually able to field some very good teams here in the MLS. Um, so within the first 
that time frame from 2010 to 2017, uh, we were able to have a team, the MLS was able to have a team finish in the top four, four times within the CONCACAF Champions League. So a little, a very little tiny explanation before uh, moving on. The CONCACAF Champions League is a continental champions, or a continental league uh, brought together to incorporate all the teams from all of Central and North America, from teams from Canada, Mexico, uh, Honduras, Haiti, Guatemala, teams like that. All of those teams can qualify for this tournament, and it's able to show the best of the best in the region. Uh, so it is a very, very, very competitive uh, sport, or a very, <laughs> obviously it's a competitive sport, but a very competitive competition, uh, and something that when teams are the best at the Champions League, they tend to be the best in the area, period. And the MLS hasn't had that many winners of the CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, well, the CONCACAF Champions League itself has been reformatted twice, once in 2008 and once in 2017, I believe. Uh, and so since these reformats, or since the first reformat in 2008, the U.S. has never won the CONCACAF Champions League. Ever. Period. It's never happened. Uh, the MLS, Two MLS teams have won it before the reformat in 2008, and those two teams were DC United and the LA Galaxy. So they were, able, they were actually able to achieve that, uh, whereas teams past 2008 never won it. And since that reformat, we've never won it. It's only been Mexico. It has only been Mexican teams. And that's one of the things that I wish to help with as well, uh, bringing more awareness towards this problem and maybe we can do something about it uh, collectively as a nation. Uh, but we have to talk about a very sensitive topic when it comes to American soccer. <sighs> Where do I even begin with this? Honestly, it's something I don't really want to talk about, but we have to. October 10th, 2017. Uh, if you guys don't know what that is, uh, let me inform you. Uh, that was the day that the U.S., failed to qualify for the 2018 World Cup after we lost 2-1 to Trinidad and Tobago. Um, I, I feel like beating a dead horse at this point, but that was an absolute embarrassment. Yes, um, kudos to Trinidad and Tobago. They beat us on the night. They were more relentless than we were. They were more aggressive than we were. And to be honest, it was a group of individuals that didn't seem like they wanted it that much. Um, looking back, it's a scoreline that even haunts me as a fan, which is something that it, it, it's hard to realize, honestly. But from that, we were able to make something amazing. And it's something that we are growing as of today. Since then, uh, we do have a glimmer of hope uh, by the name of Atlanta United and even LA Ga uh, the LA uh, FC, uh, not LA Galaxy. The LA LA FC and Atlanta United have done something that, uh, at least personally, from a coaching standpoint, I have been preaching from day one. 
it we have to rely on youth youth is very very important when it comes to the development of a soccer team yes it is it is something completely different to be able to bring in a superstar player uh, to your team and have that difference made but if you don't have the youth players to be able to replace that old player uh, once they leave or they retire or lord knows what if you don't have that talent to be able to replace him uh, and you have to keep going to the transfer market and use money that your club may or may not have uh, that is something that is replaceable it you if you have a youth system that you are able to rely on and to be able to replace that bigger player like i've said it's so valuable and United Atlanta United and LAFC have utilized this they've been able to bring in youth players from Argentina from Uruguay and they've actually been able to do something that not a lot of other teams have been able to do within two years of Atlanta United starting the MLS they have won the MLS Cup within two years I believe the the club started in 2016 in 2018 they won the MLS Cup not many other teams can do that. And I attribute that to the youth that they brought in. Now they've been able to sell some of that youth on to bigger teams. They brought in uh, Almiron that is now playing for Newcastle United in England. They, sell them, they sold him on for a major profit. And now they can use that transfer money to bring in even more youth players. That is something that needs to be taught in MLS. At least from a fundamental standpoint, yes, we can get one or two big players, one of the one or two David Beckham's, one or two David Pier or uh, David Villa, one or two Frank Lampard's. It doesn't it doesn't matter. We can bring in those players, but we also need to use and utilize the money that we have in MLS. As Taylor uh, Twelman said, we need to invest in youth. We need to invest in the actual development of our players. And if we keep doing the thing that we're doing, it's like he said, it's insanity. It is the literal definition of insanity. We cannot, cannot keep doing this. And that's something that the MLS has grown to fix over the past couple of years. So with the history of the MLS encapsulated within uh, that amount of time, uh, it is now time to move on to the next section uh, of the podcast. So again, I asked for a very short break, and I will be back in a minute. All right, and to the second to last section that I have planned for us, it is going to be going over positions and roles within a soccer team. These are two completely different things, and no matter where I am when I'm coaching soccer, this is something that is repeatedly broken. It is something that it seems ingrained in American culture when it comes to soccer, when it comes to football, as some people uh, call it. There is a very, very big difference between the two, and this needs to be ironed out. Episode 1, this is exactly why I brought it in. So a position is somewhere on the field that you are playing and that doesn't change. The position that you play can be striker, attacking central midfield, right attacking midfield, central defensive midfielder, center defender, goalkeeper, it doesn't matter. That position does not change. You are in that position the entire match. Sometimes you may be swapped with a different player and you play a different position. Um, so, like, let's say you switch from center defender to right defender. 
there that is a position change it's not a role change and we need to be able to tell the difference here so with that you have the positions that is a specific point on the field that you play uh, within a certain match that you are designated for that match now a role is different a role is something that you do within the match so a role like let's say for example someone is given the role of winger a winger can play right mid or even right attacking midfielder and he can also play left mid or left left attacking midfielder that isn't a specific position now if i was to give someone a position and a role that would be very very specific and very very key to how the person is going to play so let's say a striker is going to play a poacher role that is something specific and something that um, some coaches don't specify and I, I will humbly say I've done this too it is a mistake I've made and I'm trying to correct even for me I've been doing this for three years and studying the sport for even longer than that and I'm still making that mistake and I want to iron that out right here and now so for someone that says okay play a winger position a winger is not a position it is a role so this needs to be ironed out within the coaching aspect of soccer itself uh, and something that here on out will always be a fundamental part of soccer itself so with that I will say the positions that we will have and then some of the roles uh, that will be attributed to it so for a striker we will have poachers target men attacking uh, forward we will also have complete forwards and deep lying playmakers uh, as roles designated for the striker position uh, left attacking midfielder and right right attacking midfielder I'm gonna group together uh, because they can have the same rules it's just on a separate side of the field obviously left and right so with those roles you can have wingers you can have in uh, inverted wingers you have inside forwards uh, you can even have defensive wingers as well those are very high defensive players that can track back and have more defensive roles uh, but not to get too much into the specifics you have central attacking midfielder which can have multiple roles such as attacking midfielder uh, attacking playmaker uh, as well as enganche which i'm excited to get into that's a, a foreign role that uh, has very prominent impact on soccer in the european stage as well uh, you will also have left mid and right mid, uh, which again, those roles can be slightly the same as the attacking midfielder, left and right. Uh, so they have wingers, inverted wingers, defensive wingers, uh, as well as inside forwards. Center defense or center midfield, I'm sorry, center midfield uh, can have a lot. Uh, this is where you see a lot of the overlap when it comes to attacking players and a defensive player. So set, set the center, the center of the park, that's what a lot of people call it. The center of the park is where that off offense meets defense, and sometimes people push it try to push that line forward. Some of it try some of the coaches try to push it backwards. The majority of the time, I keep it towards the center. Normally, the divide between def defense and offense for me is in the center of the park, in central midfield. Uh, so these roles can be 
a, uh, a multitude of different roles, such as center midfield, uh, attacking playmaker, an advanced playmaker. You can also have a deep line playmaker, a ball winning midfielder, uh, and some of the others uh, that I'll be getting into in later episodes. Uh, then you also have center defensive midfield, right at right defensive midfield, and left defensive midfield. Uh, those are where you get into the really defensive players. Uh, some can be a regista. Uh, some of them can be a defensive midfielder, a, a very deep-lying playmaker. Uh, it can be also put in one of these uh, positions. And finally, then we get to left defense, central defense, and right defense. Those players uh, have a multitude of roles as well. Center defense can be a center defender, a ball-playing defender, and a no-nonsense no de uh, defender as well. Uh, then you also have the left defender and right defender playing the roles of fullback, wingback, uh, defensive wingback, and so much more that we'll get into in later episodes. Uh, thankfully for goalkeeper, there's not many roles that are attributed to goalkeeper. You have a goalkeeping role and a sweeper keeper, which is uh, something that we'll get to again in later episodes. Uh, so being able to tell that difference is fundamental. Like I've said at the very, very beginning, this is something that needs to be done in American soccer. And I've done it. I cannot. I, I, I have to throw myself under the bus here. I've done it. I've heard other coaches do, do it. And that's okay. That is something that this podcast is, is going to help you with. Being able to understand those differences. Um, as well as helping myself understand it more. Maybe. Because I've been studying this game for five, six years and I learn something every single day, and I hope that you will learn something as well, especially with me making these podcasts. So, uh, before, again, I move to the final section of the podcast, uh, I'm going to take a quick break, and I'll see you guys back in a minute. All right, and before I start the final section of this episode, I wanted to give a shout-out to the Facebook page that we have. It is The Worm Burner Podcast, and so that way you can give us a like and a follow and keep up to date to all of our posts, as well as the actual website we have itself. It is the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. So again, that website is the-wormburner-podcast.captivate.fm. So that will also keep you up to date with all the episodes that we have every single Wednesday of every week. So I wanted to create a fun and interactive section for all of you to enjoy every single week. After I post the episode on Wednesday, either the day of or the day after the episode airs, there will be a question on our Facebook page that will be for all of you. The three people that answer the fastest and the correct answer, again, the fastest and the correct answer will get a shout out on the very next episode of the worm burner podcast so again top three answers that are the fastest and the correct ones will get a shout out on the next episode of the worm burner podcast so our final section of this episode is going to be a reoccurring one called the extra man advice of the day this is going to be something that i as a coach would think that it is very important or vital to any player or even parent of a player and a fan to know. 
So with this in mind, the extra man advice of the day is going to be creative daydreaming. And yes, I know it seems like a ridiculous one, but it has been shown that daydreaming does activate the part of the brain that actually helps you react and have good decisive choices within game-like settings as a soccer player. So don't make it excessive. Don't don't daydream for 10, 15, 20 minutes. That's a bit excessive. But a short five-minute stint where you think about what you're going to do next game, what as a player you want to see from a defense or from your teammates, uh, even from the actual opponent themselves, if they step forward to challenge you while you're on the ball, or if he's going to guard you while you are off the ball, trying to make off 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 the ball movement. These are all choices that you can make while you are creative daydreaming, and it will make that difference in a game-like setting. So this is going to be the end of the Wormburner podcast first episode. Again, if you've made it this far, thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. A million times thank you uh, to all of you listening, and I will look forward to seeing you in the very next episode next week. Uh, That will be March 24th. Uh, I will see you all then. Ciao, everyone.